And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up on our final show of the year, Chelsea's Cup runneth over with Carabao. We'll look back at 2023. Don't worry, it'll be quick. There's a preview of the festive fixtures and 2024. The women's team end the year on a high and the quiz gets a much needed revamp. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. So the plan today is to give the entire squad some minutes ahead of our winter break. First up, Liam and Simon will join us to reflect on Tuesday's shootout success. But the most important is to in football is believe until to the end, and that was possible because we keep believing. And on the end, uh, always we know the penalties are a, a lottery, and of course talent and, and quality. Um, but of course, uh, I'm so pleased because I think our objective uh, before the game was to go through to the semi-final. We are in the semi-final, and, then, and now we need to move on and wait tomorrow and then be, be focused and be ready for the next uh, Premier League game, you know, in Wolverhampton, the 24. So Chelsea made it through to the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup, where they'll face Middlesbrough. Mikhailo Mudrik's stoppage time equaliser earned a shootout against Newcastle and spared Benny Badia-Shield's blushes. The Blues won 4-2 on pens after all four Chelsea players scored. Kieran Trippier walloped one wide and Georgia Petrovic saved from Matt Ritchie. My two happy little elves are here with me, Liam and Simon. Uh, Christian Burns been on, says, Hi, fellas. Glad tidings and all that. To what degree do you feel that was a turning point for Chelsea and Potch? Granted, we haven't won anything yet, but there was something special about the energy of the last 25 minutes at Stamford Bridge. So special, Simon, was that energy that you wrote a whole piece on those 25 minutes. Um, I thought the celebrations were particularly telling from players and supporters, right? Because in years gone by, winning a League Cup quarterfinal would not have resulted in one step beyond them, the kind of scenes that we saw. That was um, was kind of not restorative, but it felt good after a miserable year. Yeah, and, and that's why I sort of focused on it because the phrase turning point, and if you go, if you read some of the comments on my piece, there's, there's a, quite a few that are being negative. You know, I try and be positive, and yet I'm hit with negative comments and they go, oh, another piece about a turning point. And I, I get the cynicism. I wasn't sort of actually saying it was a turning point, but it could be, you could look back on it. Let's hope we do. <laughs> we could look back on it and on what a pivotal moment that was because the mood in the in the ground just completely flipped. I mean, you were there, Matt. You could sort of feel the sort of, here we go again. We've seen this so many times before in 2023. 
concede a rubbish goal and then spend what seems like hours just passing it around and not looking like scoring a goal. In fact, so much so that I I tried to reverse jinx it and it did work. As it went into injury time, I sent out the tweet on X, formerly known as Twitter, Chelsea could play until 2024 and not score. It was sent and then within about a minute, Mudrick scored and I spent the next few minutes just laughing. So much so I missed the fan uh, confronting Dubravka on the pitch. Had to be told by my Newcastle colleague what had happened. But um, here I go off on one of my infamous tangents for the last time in 2023. I found those scenes really, really telling. Yes, of course, Chelsea have to go on and and capitalise. But we've heard in recent weeks, or or it's about a week ago, there were get-togethers. There was a a player sort of get-together after the Everton defeat. And then there was a big event at Cobham with the entire staff, families, etc. But nothing like a result to really bring a squad together. And you and you really saw it, not just the players that played that night, the substitutes, the unused substitutes, the injured players like Reese James, Ben Chilwell. And it genuinely felt like everyone was coming together, Pochettino on the pitch, the fans. The only sad face was Enzo Fernandez, who's basically bawling. It was quite a sad sight, but... Who knows? We, we might look back on it and just go, it's just another of those false dawns. But for me, it just felt like one of those rare occasions and where everyone came together. And, and now the League Cup draw has, has worked out too. So, yeah, let's see, shall we? Uh, Liam, I wrote the word big down a lot in the notes I made for this game. Big for Mudrick to come on and score. Bigger to get Christopher and Kunku on. Big for Petrovic to make the save in the shootout. Big for Poch to get all his subs right and have, make them all have a, a massive impact. What, what, what was the key thing for you there? Was it was it maybe Nkunku? Because we've had a few false dawns with Mudrick already, haven't we? Well, we haven't mentioned Kieran Trippier yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was pretty big, that header. And the fact, I think, that Mudrick scores that goal because he starts in the wrong place. Yes, and when the ball comes to him, everybody goes, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, which has often been the case with Mudrick this year. You notice that he he sometimes gets caught up ball watching while the rest of the team's attacking. Rather than making a run, he's actually just watching play develop. And sometimes he's able to get away with it because he's so fast, he can then catch up and get back into the play. And that's what happened. And I think it's kind of a strange goal because if he's closer to Trippier, Trippier probably doesn't attempt to head the ball back to the goalkeeper in the manner that he did. So it's a bizarre confluence of events where Trippier feels like he's got a bit more time. So he tries a really calm header, completely under under clubs it. And Mudrick is fast enough and agile enough to react, having been probably 10 yards behind where he should have been trying to crash the back post. And you have to say it's a great finish. And I, you know, I was, that's what I was really impressed with with Madrid. You know, he he hasn't put the pieces together yet in terms of a, a whole performance at this level. But when the big moments came, he didn't snatch at them. It was a really calm finish for the equaliser in in high pressure circumstances. A really calm, instinctive finish. And then I thought his penalty, as all the other penalties were, were absolutely superb. They, you know, they weren't. There were no lucky ones. It was really, really impressive. And I thought Georgia Petrovic as well. I meant to look this up before we recorded, but I believe he won an award while in MLS, a season award for saving penalties. I think he saved two or three in a season. So I I was actually feeling quite optimistic that he could make an impact in the shootout. 
And I think he went the right way for every kick except for Bruno's. So that that was really impressive as well. I think he rose to the moment. They all did. And as Simon says, I think we're we're at the stage now where you can only identify turning points retrospectively. We will only know in about three months' time whether this was important or not, because I think it was very tempting to look at the final whistle against Manchester City and say this performance was a turning point. As it transpired, it was probably more of a turning point for Man City than for Chelsea. But there's no doubting that it was a really positive thing. I, you know, I think Chelsea have played 49 games in all competitions in 2023. That was the 23rd time they've gone 1-0 down. Here's a question, Simon, from Akayo Mboku. He says, with Petrovic clearly having better ball distribution than Sanchez, proved himself to be a decent shot stopper. Obviously can't be a foregone conclusion that Sanchez will come back in when fit, or is it? The shirt's Petrovic is to lose at the moment, right? Because he's, he's performed okay so far. But I guess the, uh, the festive period will, will tell us whether he's the long-term number one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very easy to get very excited when, you, when you've seen a guy save a penalty. A great save, though, it was. I mean, it was only, what, a couple of weeks ago that he, he flapped at a corner at, at Goodison Park. So I'm now flipping it round. Now I'm being the the cautious one but I did like what I what I saw I liked again alluding to the post-match celebrations that Robert Sanchez came on and he couldn't have been happier for Petrovic um they hugged they embraced there were clearly words exchanged classic goalkeepers union moment which was good and it can only be healthy for Chelsea if there is genuine competition for that spot now Sanchez whilst he's out and, and Pochettino was very unconvincing when asked or, or very sort of unsure of what to say when asked about how long Sanchez would be out. He, ahead of that game, he said two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six. He kept going. And it's like, it's almost any higher? Yeah. I was almost going to do a, a legendary British game show <laughs> reference there, but I think a lot of listeners might not understand what, what I'm referring to. I assume that that game show format has been sold across the world and may even have started in America. So I think if you want well, to... Play your cards, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. How dare I assume it's just an English <laughs> show? I'm just showing my ignorance yet again. But anyway, it was a little bit um, concerning that, that, that Pochettino doesn't know. It feels like, is there an injury at Chelsea that is straightforward where someone can come out and go, yeah, it's this, and he'll be out for three weeks, and he's back in three weeks. But it, it can only be a benefit to Chelsea that's, that Petrovic has this run of games, that when Sanchez does come back, that he 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 knows he has to really earn it because I think the plan was that he'd be first choice this season. But if Petrovic um, has a really good run of games, it's going to be very hard for Pochettino to, to drop him. All right, well, as we say, Chelsea will play Middlesbrough in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. The first leg will be at the Riverside on the week commencing the 8th of January, the return of the bridge on the week commencing the 21st. For more on the game, as we say, read Simon's piece analysing the final 25 minutes that could make Pochettino's season. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Next today, we'll look back on 2023. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, a couple of decent results over the last week can't really make the Anis any less horribleus for Chelsea. 2023 has been a stinker. Liam's here to talk us through some of the highs and low lights. Uh, picked a couple of dates out, Liam, because you're going to look back on the year for the Athletic. 2nd of April, Graham Potter sacked. In hindsight, what do we think of that decision? Will it prove to be right or wrong? In my review of 2023, which will be up on the Athletic soon, I pinpointed April as the unequivocal low point of what has been the worst year this century at Chelsea, worse than, than 2015, 2016, which were, of course, both bolstered by half of the title-winning campaign along with six months of absolute nightmare. April 2023 was just even by standards of the last 18 months, just incredibly bleak. You you have the, the sacking of Graham Potter seven months into a five-year contract, the project coach, the project out the window, in the midst of a complete mess of a of a squad and uh, and a club really at that point and you have the preparations for the two remaining meaningful games of Chelsea's season against Real Madrid characterized by three matches in a week taken by three different coaches two of them temporary in one form or another yeah just absolutely absolutely shambolic Scored one goal. I'm just looking at it. And that was in a home defeat against Brighton. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at the results in April and they bear out just how shambolic it was because they played, I think, seven games and scored one goal. A deflected Conor Gallagher strike, which I do believe I saw on social media that get Chelsea goal of the month. I, I have to maybe double check that one, but I'm sure I saw it. Yeah, and I, to me that was... It was clearly the Nadir, but it, it, it was also in many ways the year in microcosm, a year in which the old Chelsea that people had, had known since 2003 was completely ripped away and what replaced it was nowhere near ready to take shape yet. And so you just had this, this chaos and really incompetence in the short term, uh, a level of a level of incompetence that, that we've just not been used to seeing from Chelsea in the in the twenty first century. So Graham Potter goes, Frank Lampard comes in. Let's be generous and say it didn't go very well. What what's next for Frank Lampard, do you think, Liam? He he seems keen to return to management, which is which is quite baffling to some of us. Do you think he gets another job or does he end up being Chelsea Club ambassador this time next year? Well, it certainly seems as if Lampard wants to get back in and give it at least one more go, wherever that may be. One of our colleagues, Tom Bogert in the US, reported that he was heavily in the frame for the Charlotte FC job. Ultimately, Dean Smith got that job. And that, that to me is, is quite 
significant on a number of levels because one, I think the fact that Lampard would consider either uprooting his young family and going to live in North Carolina or, you know, going to live away from them for a sustained period of time, which is what that would have to be. I think it underlines that how much he actually still wants to prove himself in management because I've said this many times before, he really doesn't need this. <laughs> you know, he's got the money and the status within football that is absolutely secure regardless of what he does for the rest of his life. So I, I, I find it fascinating really that he's he's still so keen. I think it, it probably reflects that he actually just, he he does really love football and he wants to stay actively involved in it. But the other significance of that story is what job does he get? Because he didn't get that job ultimately. And you have to wonder what bracket of job he would actually be favoured to get now. Because it's hard to see a Premier League club appointing him off the back of what happened at Everton, which is now being made to look worse by what Sean Dyche is doing at Everton with largely the same group of players. And of course, what happened at Chelsea, although as we wrote extensively at the time, you know, he was not the cause of Chelsea's problems last season. The results did get worse on his watch, but I think that was partly a consequence of going out of the Champions League and just a complete letting go of the rope by everyone at the club in what remained of the season. I think that that may have happened under Potter as well, to be honest, although we'll never know. So it will be really interesting to see what he he does next not least because it's it seems clear from from lampard's perspective he wants a next chapter in management interesting we shall have to keep an eye on that one all right uh, i was wondering about best and worst performances but i think the best was dortmund at home in march and the worst was kind of all the rest basically maybe man united away last season maybe newcastle this I want to finish on this though liam it's a question that comes to us from Andrew says, praising anything to do with our squad building is taboo, but Joe Shields got Palmer, £150 million for Havertz, Mount and Kovacic. A coherent and consistent recruitment contract and wage bill policy are highlights. There is a plan here. Everybody's been critical of Chelsea's spending and, and the kind of players that they've brought, but we are starting to see it bear fruit, right? And, and Andrew's right to, to raise the point of the players who's left, because I had a look at it, and other than Maybe, oddly enough, Yang. Nobody's really pulled up any trees anywhere they've gone, have they? So so those sales in particular do look good in, in retrospect at the moment, at least. Yeah, I think, well, when you when you look at the headline sales at Havertz and Mount, both of those look very good at the moment. I I think, you know, the, these will be judged over years and you're selling two guys in their early to mid-20s. Both of those players have got plenty of time to change the stories of their first seasons at their new clubs. But yeah, it does look in the immediate as if Chelsea did pretty well in terms of generating money from sales. They offloaded a lot of money from the wage bill. I'd take a little bit of issue with the characterization of the contract structure of the players coming in as entirely consistent and coherent because you still have Raheem Sterling as the highest earner at the club on a contract which really does not align with the contract signed from January onwards. Christopher Nkunku, I think, is is on a big contract, which isn't necessarily structured that way either. So it, it, 
it's not across the board and it remains to be seen whether that at some point may cause issues with contract renegotiations or dressing room harmony or whatever you know we've seen these kinds of things cause issues before there is a plan we can see that in terms of what they're doing the questions are how smart is the plan of just going full youth and turning the entire squad into an investment portfolio and how well executed is the plan you know have you picked the right players and I don't think we'll have the answers to either of those questions for, for quite a while yet. Mm, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch it all unfold over the next couple of years. Uh, Liam, thank you very much for your contributions to this podcast over 2023. Wishing you well for the festive season. We'll catch up with you next year. Thanks, guys. Right then, Simon, you're going to look ahead to 2024 for The Athletic. Of course, people want to know about transfers, seeing as the window will be open in January. Tushar says, who's most likely to leave? Also, we haven't heard a lot about our targets. Who could be on the radar? I'm going to go ahead and guess that Trevor Chalibur is going to be pretty high on that uh, list of potential departures. It's a, a flip of a coin between in terms of who's really packed their bags and is just sort of waiting in the departure lounge. Between him and Malang Sar. Remember Malang Sar? Well, somebody did ask us about Malang Sar and Jamie Cumming, actually. I mean, they are lesser spotted to the point of being invisible, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Malang Sar's had to work very hard for his paycheck uh, this season. Um, I have no idea what he's been doing. And perhaps that's not reflective of my uh, lack of professionalism. I should have found out. But um, he was unfortunate that he couldn't secure a move in the summer, um, his high wages doesn't help. I'm sure there'll be some kind of, even if they, they can't get someone to buy him, it's getting so ridiculous, Chelsea surely will do what they've done with other players and sort of rip up their contract and, and sort of just send them on their way. Um, Chalabo's very sad story, it's just been injured, but I think he would be going anyway. I mean, he came very close to, the summer, uh, to leaving in the summer. Chelsea were definitely quite keen or quite interested in selling him. Um, but then the sort of the more controversial ones, and we've talked about it a lot in recent weeks, Conor Gallagher is cannot be ruled out as a, as a departure, despite the amount of times Pochettino plays him. I think we've got, if a really big offer comes in from someone, I, I think there's going to be a, a real possibility that, that he, well, certainly Chelsea will, will listen to it. Whether Conor Gallagher accepts it is another thing, because of course he has turned down, for example, Everton, in the January transfer window of, of this year, when Chelsea tried to, to send him up there and, and he said no. And then Ian Matson is a, is another one that, of course, again, looked like he might be on his way in the summer. A bid was accepted from Burnley. And I think if you're accepting bids, then you're prepared to listen to other bids when the window reopens. So it, there's, there's quite a few that could be on their way. And then incomings, well... I don't think we're sort of breaking any news here when you're talking about strikers being the the uh, the thought process. But you've got Osserman, although he looks like he's about to sign a new contract, and I think it's always always going to be difficult to sign someone in January of someone of his calibre. Ivan Tony has been well documented, but Brentford, I think, a bit bit reluctant to sell. In, in January, but he's only got 18 months left on his deal to run. So if a huge bid comes in, they would have to listen to it. If Chelsea were to go down that route, they would be breaking what their 
recent modus operandi has been, which is signing players under 25, and also the, the wage bill would be a consideration. But there are other names they are looking at too. All right, so we've got this um, Cup semi-final to start the year off, which is obviously a positive. Let's take the Carabao Cup out of the equation, though. What what would be a reasonable league finish for Chelsea, do you think? They're sitting in 10th ahead of the, the festive fixtures. I mean, I guess we can't really take the Carabao Cup out, can we? Because if they win that, they get a place, admittedly, only in the Conference League playoff round. But otherwise, top eight would be decent from this point, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I've. I think when you asked after the Man City game and all, all the sort of euphoria of that game, that I was still sort of thinking sixth was, which is my pre-season prediction, was still on. But but then of course there was the misery of the defeats at Newcastle, and Manchester United, and I think we have to reset our our targets. I think because this team is just so inconsistent. So. Yeah, maybe a, a maybe an eighth, yeah, a top eight finish. But I think that will only be acceptable, um, certainly in the fans' eyes, if they go on to win the League Cup. Because I think then you sort of go, okay, it's not been the, the dream season, the perfect season under under Pochettino, but any trophy, any piece of silverware, you know, can't be underestimated, particularly with this group of players. I always felt with Tottenham when, when Pochettino was in charge that he underestimated the importance, the significance of what winning a domestic cup can do for self-belief to go on and actually go win the bigger prize, compete for the bigger prizes. I think he's got the message now. We saw that with the, the very strong team he, he picked uh, against Newcastle. So they've got a great opportunity uh, without taking anything for granted to beat Middlesbrough. And then look, if it is Liverpool... You know, no offence to Fulham, but it's more than likely over two legs, Liverpool are going to be too strong for Fulham. Then it's a chance of uh, 2021 revenge, isn't it? And if it does go to penalties, let's hope, uh, well, we know that Kepa isn't going to take one, so that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's improved Chelsea's chances already. Yeah, I think actually, if I look out the window, yeah, Kepa's penalties just landed in my garden, um, so I'll be making use of that ball later. Do you think it's got its own flight path? You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there are lots of Chelsea fans currently tracking it on that flight tracker thingy that everybody goes mad for in January. All right, final question on 2024 then, Simon. Bit of a cheeky one. Will Maurizio Pochettino last the year as Chelsea head coach? As in, he won't be gone by this time next year. Yeah, December 31st, 2024. Is he still the man in situ? Yes, Vamos. <laughs> I'm going to back him. I'm going to back him. I'm going to be a Chelsea owner's full backing. Uh, yeah, I, I think he will. I think he, he genuinely has made a positive impression on the people behind the scenes, even though it hasn't gone as smoothly as they would have liked. And also, where do they go after him? So I think it'll be gradual steps for the rest of this season. Another billion pounds spent, and then Chelsea will be challenging for sixth this time next year. It's excellent news for lemon sellers in both Surrey and West London. Simon, thank you as ever for your contributions throughout this year. We'll catch up with you again in 2024. Yeah, cheers, guys. All right, well, there are lots of big games to come for Chelsea between now and the end of the year. We'll look ahead to those next. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome a couple of Christmas crackers onto the pod now as we look ahead to Chelsea's festive fixtures with Dom and Luke joining us. There are three Premier League games we've got to preview, chaps. Let's start with Wolves on Christmas Eve. Malachi says, is there any knowledge of what the players think of playing on Christmas Eve? Whilst terrible for fans, I'm assuming they get Christmas Day off with their families and friends so might be keen on playing on the 24th rather than the 26th. And that's a positive way of looking at it, Luke, isn't it? I'm sure they are pretty pleased they don't have to come in on Christmas Day. But this game made trickier by the fact that Chelsea played in, in midweek and Wolves haven't, and also that Chelsea have a pretty poor recent record at Molyneux. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the fact that maybe it's on Sunday kind of benefits Chelsea having played midweek an extra day's rest uh, for them. Obviously, you know, the, the fans' consideration of playing on Christmas Eve is is another thing. And Wolves are, they're a very weird side, I think, this season. I'm not sure they've really, I've been very impressed with a lot of the stuff that Gary O'Neill's done there, you know, having been appointed right on the eve of the season after Lopetegui left. Uh, I read something that they've they've scored, I think, in, in 15 straight home games or something. So I think they've scored in every home game this season. Um, and goals definitely don't seem to be a problem for them, which I think since Wolves have come in the Premier League, they have often struggled to score and been quite strong at the back this season seems to be a bit different. And they've had some really good results. I think, you know, they drew against Newcastle. They obviously beat Man City, but then, you know, they've struggled in other games where they've, you know, I think they lost to Sheffield United, for example, and they lost to Fulham. So I I don't think they've really found themselves. They tend to play a three at the back system. And I think that will benefit Chelsea because I think Wolves, from what, from what I've seen, I don't think they're very good in transition. They don't have the quickest centre-backs and their wing-backs are a bit of an issue for them. I think they were playing uh, Belgard, who's a right-footed midfielder at left wing-back, when they lost against West Ham. 
uh, at the weekend. And obviously, right wing back, they've got Semedo and Doherty, who are decent going forward, particularly Semedo. But I think they, they lack a little bit defensively. Um, and there's a bit of a question mark over goalkeeper with them as well, because Dan Bentley played um, when they lost against West Ham. Didn't look great uh, with Jose Sarr out injured. So I think that's kind of... I think definitely Chelsea can get at them, is kind of what I'm saying. I think, you know, Cole Palmer probably will play on, on the right flank or in the number 10 position of Raheem Sterling. Very good in 1v1s, very good dribblers, those players. And I think, you know, they can have some joy, but by the same token, Wolves will play a back three and they might, even though they have been playing good football under O'Neill, that does mean that they will be very, they can be very compact, you know, if those midfielders, Joao Gomez and Mario Lamina sit deep, so... I'd expect Chelsea, as they have this season, to have quite a lot of the ball. And it remains to be seen whether, you know, as we saw in the second half uh, against Newcastle, that they can um, find a way through. Yeah, just one win in five for Wolves. That was at home to Burnley coming into this game. So maybe a good time to catch them. We shall see. Uh, Then, Dom, it's Crystal Palace coming to Stamford Bridge on the 27th of December. We're recording this on the day that Palace play their biggest game of the season against Brighton, but we're recording after they've bloodied Manchester City's nose as per usual. Uh, I get the feeling you're not that optimistic about Palace's prospects at the moment. I'm certainly not optimistic about their prospects in this game, and they've lost the last 12 against Chelsea. I was just looking now that the last time Palace got a result against Chelsea was Roy Hodgson's first win in charge back in 2017. This is the last time they didn't lose. And, and playing for Chelsea that day, Antonio Conte's Chelsea, League Champions League Chelsea, was Thibaut Courtois was in goal. Tiamui Bakayoko played in midfield and scored that day. Charlie Masonda came off the bench. Uh, Mishi Bachwai even started that game. I mean, that just shows it's a different era. It's a completely different era. And they've lost every single match since against, against Chelsea. So... Look, Palace, uh, Palace aren't as strong as they were last year. Their squad isn't strong enough. It hasn't been strong enough. They didn't replace Wilfred Zaha. They have had some horrendous injury problems. I know Chelsea have as well, but I think Chelsea's squad has got far greater depth than Crystal Palace's squad, and they've had similar numbers of injuries. Key players have been missing. As I say this now, I mean, I don't know what the selection will be against Brighton this evening, but but they've only started Eberichieza and and Michael Elise in one game together uh, in the Premier League this season. And without those two in harness, they just lack so much going forward. They're well organised. Mark Gay has been fantastic. Again, Joachim Anderson at his side is great. But, you know, when there's no defensive shield ahead of them in, in Chick de Corre, then they're vulnerable. And I think Chelsea will look at that given the sort of optimism that's been generated at home in the last, in the League Cup game, in the, in the, in the, with the penalty shootout and the late comeback for the, to, to equalise, I think they will carry a lot of optimism into that game at Stamford Bridge, and I think it'll be a really testing occasion for Palace. Mm. Uh, we got Luton then on the thirtieth of December. This one is at Kenilworth Road, and that's significant, right, Luke? Because we've seen Arsenal and Man City win there just about. Liverpool only drawing. It's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But newly promoted team on their home ground, trying to make it a fortress. This might be the biggest test of the three games that we've spoken about, actually. Yeah, it definitely could be. I think Tottenham struggled there as well. That was a TV game. I think that was a lunchtime Saturday game and they struggled in the first half before. Um, I think Tottenham got a red card and then the game opened up a little bit more bizarrely. But obviously Luton, 
for Chelsea will be the first game this season that you know we've already had the reverse fixture and, and Chelsea won that game very easily it was Mauricio Pochettino's first win back in August I think 3-0 Raheem Sterling played exceptionally well but playing at Kenilworth Road as you say Matt will be a very different prospect I you know I don't have the numbers to back it up but I imagine the pitch is a lot smaller at Kenilworth Road than Stamford Bridge so there'll be less space to work in uh, for Chelsea skill players um, and less space to get in behind and Luton I think their home and away record has been broadly similar without looking at the, the facts myself. But it will be a different atmosphere and a different experience for a lot of the Chelsea players um, who are new and young and maybe haven't played uh, in a, anything like Kenilworth Road before. The only maybe saving grace for Chelsea is that it is another Saturday lunchtime kickoff. So the atmosphere may not be as charged uh, as it could have been had it been under the lights in an evening or even a 3pm game, uh, given how dark it is in the UK these days. And and the other thing with it being at Kenilworth Road is, you know, almost feel reluctant mentioning it, but the Tom Lockyer incident, I think Newcastle are playing at Kenilworth Road this weekend. And I think that's going to be a very difficult game for them because there's going to be so much emotion from the fans and the players that I think, Newcastle are going to find it very hard to play against Luton. Um, you know, having said that, Newcastle will probably win three 0 now. But I think Chelsea are maybe lucky uh, in that aspect that they're not playing Luton right after um, the Lockyer incident. But you know, it's another one where on paper Chelsea should be, you know, the, the clear favourites and win. But we've seen in recent games this season, you know, you think about Everton most recently, where you know Chelsea being favourites against a smaller side away means absolutely nothing. Chelsea did go to Kenilworth Road, didn't they, in the FA Cup uh, last year. Sal scored in that game. Dom, if I had to push you for a minute that Ross Barkley will get a goal in this match, which one would you go for? <laughs> He's been fantastic. We've got a piece going in on his revival at the Athletic um, in the next couple of days. And he, I mean, he's not... <laughs> 57th. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Just before he gets substituted for Mateo Kovacic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just looking at the Chelsea team from that game. So this is 2nd of March 2022. It was just after the sanctions, uh, I believe. The Chelsea team was Kepper, Rudiger, Saar, Jorginho, Loftus-Cheek, Sal, Mount, Lukaku, Werner, Hudson-Odoi and Kennedy. So literally none of those players still at the club. What a year wow. of change it has been. Well, we'll reflect on all those festive games when we return in the new year. Uh, Dom and Luke are going to stick around. But next, we're going to talk about the women's team. Ashley Lawrence into Kerr. Cuthbert now. Goes past the players in the box there. And Cuthbert pulls the trigger. Goalkeeper got a hand to it, but she couldn't prevent it. Heckin one, Chelsea three. And it's Erin Cuthbert with the second. Her second of the evening. Ding dong. Oh, that must be some carolers. Oh, wait, no, it's Jesse Parker Humphreys, the Herald Angel, you might say. Um, Jesse, last time you were with us, it was to preview the Arsenal game, which went really, really badly. Uh, the response to that's been pretty good, though, right? Top of the WSL, top of the Champions League Group 2 after last night's win against Hecken. Thought they played pretty well in that after having really struggled to kind of break them down at Stamford Bridge a week before. This was much more clinical. Yeah, it's been a bit of a weird response. I think Chelsea have obviously sort of lucked out that Arsenal managed to be 
very spursy actually and promptly dropped the points that they picked up against us against Tottenham um, which has allowed Chelsea to be three points clear um, but I think there was has been a sense in all three of the games since that everyone can't wait until Christmas um, and the this heck and away game was really just one that, that Chelsea had to go and win and they did I didn't think it was amazing at times it was on an artificial pitch I think you could tell the players weren't really used to it but Fortunately, Chelsea have Aaron Cuthbert, which is um, something that, that often like is the conclusion from a, a game. And she dominated the midfield and then bailed them out in front of goal, really, as well. You've beautifully led me on to my next question there. Is Erin Cuthbert Chelsea's most underrated player? Because like she's kind of damned with faint praise of, oh, she's really tigerish and good at tackling and stuff. But the goals that she scored in the last two games, that one at Bristol City was amazing. And, and the ones against Heckham really composed as well. She's... Um, yeah, she's a really good player, right? And maybe doesn't get the props that, that flashier players would do. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a sense that, you know, because she's sort of small and Scottish and likes to scrap at everyone's heels, that, you know, that she's sort of just this someone who you put in midfield and have run around a lot. But um, her performance last night against Hecken just it had it all, really, you know. Yes, there was the tackles and there was the winning the ball back, but there was also the dribbling going past players. Um, she created two chances. She scored two goals. It was about as all action um, a midfield performance as you can get. I think she struggled in the past maybe by being such a quality player that she's been used in lots of different positions. I think even this year we've seen her play as the deepest lying midfielder a lot, which is something I think she does very well. But I think she's really at her best when she has that sort of license to roam further up the pitch like we saw last night. And it'll be interesting to see as Shuk and Nuskan develops and grows into this team whether she ends up as that deeper player and that sort of sets Erin free, as it were. We all want Chelsea to win the Champions League this season for obvious reasons, but but how realistic do you think that is? Because we're a good way through the, the group stage now. Who, who are the biggest threats? I felt better about it before the Arsenal game, uh, is what I will say. Um, biggest threat will be Barcelona, obviously the team Chelsea lost to in the final a couple of years ago, who knocked them out in the semi-finals last year. Intriguingly enough, their manager announced in a press conference, which I think is boring as opposed to sort of randomly dropping the news on your website after you've just won 6-0, that he's going at the end of the season. He is reportedly going to the NWSL to the Washington Spirit, which I think adds, you know, sort of an extra bit of intensity from their side of things. Leon also playing very well at the moment, but they're a bit of a hard team to figure out because... The French league isn't necessarily always at the highest level in comparison to some of the other leagues. And they're also in a very easy Champions League group. Um, but, you know, you can only beat the teams who are in front of you and they're beating a lot of those teams at the moment. So, yeah, it will be it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot for Chelsea will sort of ride on the draw and the fitness of players and who's available when you have to play those bigger teams. But there's no reason to think Chelsea can't do it. OK, that's good. Um, this break's coming at a decent time, right? Because you, you kind of alluded to it. Everybody was looking a little bit tired and, and we saw at Arsenal what, what a difference not having Millie Bright makes. You'd expect what Chankovic and Lloyd to be available as well after the break. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just a nice time of year for everybody to get a couple of weeks off. Coming off the back of the World Cup, you could could see the fatigue creeping into one or two in recent weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, Chelsea's Champions League group on Paper, if you look at the teams, doesn't necessarily look tricky. But I think all three of those teams, even though Real Madrid have now managed to go out with two games still to spare, but all of them have, you know, quality and that having to go and play those midweek games and then 
go and play in the WSL. You know, it, it does take it out of you, especially when you do sort of have uh, players dropping out. Chelsea have also had um, lots of cases of flu in camp over the past couple of weeks. So there's been games where, you know, players haven't been available. That Bristol City game at the weekend, Jess Carter was sort of the only recognised centre-back who, who they had available to them because of various different absentees. So, yeah, I think... The break will be good. Hopefully some of those players can come back. Also, potentially some players who we haven't really seen yet. Kat Makaro, obviously, has been recovering from that ACL injury. You know, she's been sort of pictured in and around training. I don't know how slow Chelsea will want to take it. She's obviously been out for over 18 months at this point with that injury. So I can't imagine she's going to be rushed back for the FA Cup game against West Ham, which Chelsea kick off January with. But there's certainly, you know, sort of new faces that we maybe haven't got to see that much of. Micah Hamano as well made her debut against Bristol City she's another one who we might expect to see feature a bit more in the second half of the season which I think will just freshen up the squad a little bit more finally then how are you feeling about 2024 are we have we accepted the Emma exit are we ready for it yet do you, do you want to hear a replacement in place before the end or announced before the end of the season there's, there's a bit of trepidation right that that's natural given what's coming up yeah, definitely. I do think sort of the sooner Chelsea are ready to announce a replacement, the better. Um, I think it would feel there's there's going to be a sweet spot, I think, sort of before we get into that real intensity of like end of March, April. And then I don't think you want a distraction of sort of not Emma just becoming sort of like a, you know, a sitting duck because like she's never going to be like that. Right. But, you know, this feeling of like, OK, well, like we're ready for you to go. You want her to be able to focus on on her last games in charge. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've definitely, you know, like accepted it. She's going. It's happening. Um, but it feels strange because when you're looking at the team and, and the squad and even thinking about potential incomings and outgoings in January and summer, it's very hard to know how to see things, how to analyse things, because you don't know who's coming in. And I'm so familiar with Emma Hayes and the way that she works. I could talk to you about the squad and say, oh, I think X and Y will happen as if she was still there. But of course she won't. And and we've got no idea sort of what the rules and how things will work without her there. And it's going to be, you know, fascinating, I think, for the players as well, because there are people in that team who maybe are like, favourites or maybe haven't feel like they've done so well under Hayes who are going to you know have the opportunity to impress somebody else who's who's going to come in so there are going to be interesting dynamics I think heading into sort of those final five months or so of uh, her time at Chelsea. Yep fascinating 2024 in prospect for the women's team. Um, Jesse we really appreciate your time today. Have a great Christmas. Glad tidings to you and your king of course and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Merry Christmas. Okay, we are nearly done for this bumper podcast, but next comes a very special quiz. All right, if you've been with us for a while and we are well over 250 podcasts into this little experiment, by the way, uh, thank you. You will know that it is a Christmas tradition for us to flip the script and have a quiz, which is me against Lucy with Dom reading the questions total stitch up last year uh, Lucy was basically given a bye and an easy win uh, let's see if Dom's changed his tactics this time around it's over to you I've forgotten about that one I don't remember that I don't think that <laughs> <laughs> they are questions loosely based on 2023 in the year Chelsea year that was I'm, I'm sort of conscious that the League Cup finale the other night gave a very 
upbeat feeling and sense to everything. And, and, and in contrast, these may f feel rather depressing, but they are looking back at 12 months. And I don't think there's been an awful lot of positivity around Chelsea in that 12 months. So that maybe they reflect that mood slightly more. But we'll give it a go. First up. All right. So you're going to be the quiz host, right? And Luke, you're kind of like Richard Osman on Pointless. You're going to keep the score because you're often rightly very critical of the way that I do that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm basically going to be like that gif of the guy eating popcorn, uh, <laughs> watching watching what unfolds. Well, we have got, I mean, this is a bumper quiz. It's five rounds with a tiebreaker as well, which will be asked whether we need it or not. But we'll start off with a nice simple one. Let's, uh, this is for Matt to start off with. How many points were Chelsea adrift of the top floor when Graham Potter was sacked in April, 28 games into the Premier League campaign? Uh, I've absolutely no idea, of course, but I'm <laughs> going to guess 19. Luce? I don't think it's that many. I was going to say 12. And Lucy has the points. What? 12 points, it was, yeah. I'm a genius. I smell a rat, but fine. <laughs> I did a pub quiz on Tuesday in preparation, so I just feel like I'm in the mode, so... Are all these questions asked? Yes, no. Okay, fine. Uh, Lucy's question. Uh, and 10 matches later, how many points were Chelsea adrift of the top four at the end of the season? A, a lot. Uh, 24. Matt, can you steal? Uh, I'm going to go 19 again. The answer was 27. Oh, that's a half point for me. No, it's it's not a half point for you, Liz. <laughs> round two is a novelty round. It's uh, it's called uh, Name That Coach. Which Chelsea coach said the following? First one goes to Matt. We created enough chances to win the game. It's execution in front of goal. They're human beings and confidence has to be there. The boys gave everything. They played with their hearts. You can't ask for more. They score a lot in training. When you said coach, I really thought the answer was going to be Ellison's, but I'm going to go for uh, Frank Lampard. Lucy, can you steal this one? Um, Graham Potter. The answer was Bruno. Oh, no, we don't talk him. about Bruno. <laughs> Lucy, your question. Who said the following? We should score and we didn't. If you dominate, create chances, but you don't score, then you need to blame yourselves. We were not nasty or clinical in front of the goal. We created chances, but did not score. Oh, see, I think Graham Potter liked to use the word nasty quite a lot. Ugh. Oh, this is just silly. Graham Potter. Matt, can you steal? <laughs> Bruno. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. The answer was Maurizio Pochettino. Thomas Tuchel hasn't even been your manager this year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That was Maurizio Pochettino after the 2-0 home defeat to Brentford earlier this season. Matt, which Chelsea coach said this? At this level, when you create some really good chances, as we did, then you simply have to take them. We had big energy, big organisation in the team. Our game was exactly how I wanted it. The only thing that was missing was a goal. To use the word big like that would suggest somebody who doesn't have English as their first language. Um, but the first part of it sounded quite Lampardian. Uh, so therefore, let's go with Graham Potter, who's neither <laughs> Frank Lampard nor uh, not English. Lucy, can you steal? Oh. 
<laughs> We're still on coaches. Oh, this is um, big, big, big Lampard. Lucy goes 2 0 up. That was Lampard talking oh, after the 2 0 home defeat to Real Madrid in the Champions League. Remember that competition? Um, and the last one to Lucy. Which coach said this? We struggled to get hold of the game in the first 20 minutes. The performance was not acceptable from us. However, we were really clinical. We scored three goals from four shots. That efficiency put us in the driving seat. Um, so that would have to be... <laughs> I don't know. Graham Potter. Matt, can you come back into <laughs> it with a steal? <laughs> Is it a Chelsea men's first team coach? I just I said which Chelsea coach said the following. All right, I'm going to go for Emma Hayes. And you steal. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> On the board, that's the main thing. It's two one going into round three. This is a simple, simple one question each. No intrigue, Matt. How many Premier League games did Chelsea win in 2023 when Reese James completed 90 minutes? Zero. Matt draws level. Reese James has completed six Premier League games this calendar year. Three draws and three defeats. Wow, I didn't think he would have completed that many, but I'll take the point. 2-2. Two, two. Lucy, name the three Chelsea players to score domestic league hat-tricks in 2023. Oh. Nicholas Jackson. Yep. Um, I can't even think of any of our players. Nicholas Jackson, 2023. That's the only one this season, I think. Domestic, so it could be domestic cup competition. Domestic league hat-tricks. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Um, who even played for us last year? Do you know, Matt? Uh... You've commentated on them. Unfair advantage. Um, um, Sterling? No. <laughs> How many guesses is she going to get here? You get one Four. more. No, no, I get one leeway. Um, <laughs> I, I won't get it anyway. The hat trick. I don't even remember games that we scored last year. Very occasionally, Lucy uses a "I'm the boss of this podcast." Yeah. That was one of the really pretty scared there. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I can't even think who played for us up. It, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not going to embarrass myself and pass it over to Matt graciously. Go on, then, Matt. I think uh, this, is, this is a slightly tricky question, and I'm going to go for um, Sam Kerr and Danelle McNeely. Well, you were right. It was a tricky question, but you got the players completely wrong. Oh, dear. Uh, Nuskin against uh, Brighton in Brighton, October, yeah. and Lauren James against Liverpool last month. Mm, yeah. Good question. Do I get half a point for knowing that it was a women's team? I get a th- no, I get a third of a okay. point. Well, we'll see what Luke says. Luke, I'll leave it to you, but <laughs> but I don't think anybody should get anything for that, to be fair. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Round four, to Matt. Uh, Chelsea's men's team have played 49 competitive games to date in 2023. How many times have they failed to score? 
49. Hmm. Well, it's not Darren Barnard, so <laughs> it have to be a guess. Out of 49, I'm going to say 23. 23. Pretty good guess. Uh, Luz? Um, I think it's maybe more than that. 27. Not Crystal Palace. 19 is the answer. That's, that's <laughs> my lucky number there. as well. No. But this this season they've actually done okay. They haven't they haven't failed to score that often this season. It's about, I think about four or something, four or five. Anyway, no, no one gets a point for that. Bad luck. Uh, Lucy, Chelsea's women's team have played 38 competitive games to date in 2023. They have scored 102 goals. Which three teams have shut them out? Domestically? Chelsea's women's team have played 38 <laughs> competitive games today. No. Okay. One of them was uh, Hacken yep. last week. Actually pronounced Hacken, so no point oh. there. Heck off. <laughs> um... <laughs> this really brings out the worst in me. Um, did they draw... Oh, um, Liverpool. Uh, oh, no, that was last. That was the season before. Don't take that. Uh, Manchester City was that nil nil or did they score in that at the start of the season? Uh, I'm going to say Hecken, Manchester City, and Brighton. Okay, you got one out of three with Hecken. <laughs> Matt, can you uh, can you get the other two? You get the I other think two. Barcelona's one of them. Very good. Oh. And uh, the other one. The other one be then. I think it's probably somebody in the WSL. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't actually know. So I'm going to guess Manchester United. And Matt has the points with two. Fantastic. Well done. So what is that? Is that three, two? Yeah. Full point so. because I answered one of them. Would you want yeah. half a point for that? Then? Luke, please step in. <laughs> Well, I think either which way, Matt got more teams than you did. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the easy one because you had the one that they played last night. <laughs> okay, carry on. Round five, last round. Uh, you can guess where this is going. Uh, Matt, which versatile left-footed former Chelsea fullback or wingback or winger turned 55 in mid-October? Darren Barnard. Lucy, can you steal? <laughs> I forgot the name of the other one that we're obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name? Um. <laughs> oh no! I can steal it back. No, you can't. <laughs> I've actually forgotten his name. We haven't mentioned him this year. <sighs> oh, it's such a shameless because you'd draw level if you got this, and then if you got yours, you'd win. But. Yeah, if you can't remember it. I can't remember his name. Uh, Darren Barnard or... No, pass. Can't remember. Well, the actual answer to that was Graham Lasso. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't Maldonagy at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lucy, to draw level at 3-3 and condemn us to a tiebreak, which I have written and I'm quite proud of. Um, which versatile left-footed former Chelsea fullback, wing-back or winger turned 52 at the end of November? Darren Barnard. 
It's three three. <laughs> Great, says the listener. Uh, there was always going to be a Barnard in there, wasn't there? Uh, I'm fascinated by this tiebreaker. Right. So, Luke, this is where you really have to get that calculator on on the screen to work out potentially. But the tiebreak question: This is the 73rd episode of Straight Out of Cobham in 2023, according to my sources in the audio department uh, that's 50 hours of podcasting right there apparently but how many downloads of the pod have we had over the year closest wins can you whatsapp me your answers please um i mean it's a clever question in a way but lucy literally has access to this information and i don't so i would just <laughs> like to put that out there publicly first that she could literally just know it off the top of her head um whereas i have no clue am i no allowed fine. to use a calculator no. Um, yeah, no. yeah. So actually, you can do sorry. that. Yeah. Uh, seven. This is the seventy third. Okay. So it's it's to cover seventy two episodes. Well, it's a big number that I've got, but I'm going to go for it anyway to cover seventy two. Maybe that's a little bit too much. Okay. Well, I've got Lucy's answer. Oh, Matt, I've got your answer as well. <laughs> Pretty good answers. Matt, you went with 850,000, which is really good. Uh, Lucy went with 936,000. The actual answer was 1.226 million. Flipping heck. Well, we're all winners in that case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That's um, the most, most listeners are apparently from an episode in mid August. With crammed with loads of early season positivity after the draw with Liverpool, the signing of Caicedo and, and Kepa's departure, which seemed about right. <laughs> but yeah, 1.226 million. All right. Well done, Lucy. That was uh, heavily weighted in your favour, <laughs> given that you literally published the podcast and have access to all the download and stream information. I don't information, check but... it ever. Good <laughs> <laughs> quiz, Dom. Thank you. I did. Thank you, both of you, for all your hard work over the year. It's been brilliant talking to you. A fantastic presentation, Matt, and brilliant production, Lucy. You're very much appreciated by all our listeners, I know. That is very kind of you to say. Um, And yes, thank you to you too. And thank you to Luke. You have been a a breath of fresh air on the podcast this year, even though you're often highly critical of the way that I conduct the quiz. um, The content that you provide has more than mitigated that. So thank you very much. Uh, Luke, Dom, love you. Speak to you next year. Have great Christmases. And you guys. Yes, have a great time over the break, guys. Enjoy yourselves. Well, what a way to finish then for 2023. Can't believe we've had more than a million downloads. That is absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for keeping us going. There was a little bit of doubt as to whether we'd be back this season, but I know for a fact that the fact that so many people who listen to this show got in touch with The Athletic help keep us on the air we can never thank you enough for that if you'd like to give us a nice review rating on itunes spotify or wherever you get your pods that would be appreciated too uh, you can follow us on x at so cobham pod we will be back in the first week of january when we'll be looking forward to a rip-roaring success of a year that will be 2024 for chelsea football club join us for that if you can until then Thanks to Luke, to Liam, to Dom, to Simon, to Lucy, to everybody else who's helped us out. Jesse, Sam, everyone else who's been involved in this podcast over the year. Much appreciated. We'll be back in 2024. Have a great festive season. Speak to you soon. The 
Athletic.